your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and have ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere, somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is, a, is driving customer experience for self-help and content strategy at Reltio. Hopefully I got that right. Previously as VP customer experience at Zoom and Software, she made it her mission to change how organizations think about product content. She's an achievement-driven customer and content experience professional with more than 20 years of experience in technical and marketing content, change management, e-learning, and process development. Her superpower, turning dysfunctional communications teams into highly efficient content producers. A hockey mom to two, four, four two-leggers and two two-leggers, and a former online retail business owner, certified scrum master, my guest brings her unique perspective to managing information and development and content strategy. Welcome, Megan Gilhooley. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to, to connect. A fellow hockey mom, That's right. always happy to... Uh, to, to welcome new ones into the tribe. So that was strictly the highlight reel. Congrats on your recent one-year anniversary with, with, with your company. Thank That's you. amazing. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've always been involved in some form of content, but I started my career as a journalist. And then I quickly realized this was about the time the internet was coming to be. And I, I realized very quickly that journalism was going to change. Uh, I also looked at, you know, how much money a journalist made and decided that probably wasn't what I wanted to do. So I, I dove into to technical writing sort of by chance. Um, I started out with a, a QA contract and they asked me to stay on and do QA. And I was like, no, I think I'd scratch my eyeballs out if I had to do QA all day, every day. So they said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a writer at heart. And they said, well, we need a technical writer. And so I ended up becoming a technical writer and then from there, I just sort of moved from one sort of job to another and eventually moved into management. And I've been managing technical and marketing writers ever since. I took kind of this uh, hiatus for a while to run my own company, which really was a content company as well, but just a much different one. I created um, postcards. So people would actually develop postcards using our, our artwork and then we would print and mail them for them. So that was before before all the big ones came out, right? So um, I think maybe it was a, a little too early, um, but I finally, you know, moved on from that and went back to the, the workforce after having a couple of my kids and, you know, just kind of have pushed through from there. So you were you were leading leading edge on the on the whole print yeah. you know design your own and, and send it out. Yeah, That's, it was great. Um, we had a company called Snailers, and it was one that I think I ah, came, love it. Yeah, I I came up with the idea while rollerblading when I was in grad school, and again, this was like right when the internet was coming out. So it was one of those things where we had to figure out how to do all of it, um, and then you know as as the internet started to sort of grow, I think I ran it for. Uh, seven to 10 years, something like that. And as the internet started to grow, it became very clear that in order to continue in that realm, I'd have to become a printer. And I just, after having two kids, my heart wasn't in that. So I gave it up. It's that inflection point. Yes. When, you know, <laughs> that we all, we all know about anybody who's ever done any kind of content or marketing or content marketing. And you made quite the seamless transition. I mean, you've had an amazing career and worked with some some fantastic companies, which we'll get into a little bit um, in a minute. But as anybody who listens know, and as we talked about, I 
always start my interviews off with four core questions. So if you're game, we'll get going with the first one. I'm ready. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? So this is a funny one. The thing I wanted to be when everyone else was saying they wanted to be a fireman or a policewoman or whatever, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. That was the thing I wanted to do. And I've sort of fulfilled that to a certain degree because I do a lot of speaking, usually in the realm of content, of course, but hopefully motivational. So that was that was my first dream. And I've kind of gotten there. That's interesting. I don't believe I've ever had anybody it's heard anybody weird. say it's that very, before. It's very weird. Very as original. Kid, especially if you had known how shy I was as a kid. I was like super, super shy. Yet I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And people were like, really? <laughs> How's that going to work? Well, it appears to have worked out very well for you. So now I'm really curious. Our, my second question is, what or who was the first big influence on your life that you remember? And if you say Tony Robbins, I'm like, no. were you reading Tony Robbins? Book <laughs> <at seven?" laughs> That's funny. No, actually, I'm going to be a little more cliche. I, it was my mom. I mean, my mom was one of those people that grew up in a time where women were either nurses or teachers. And so she became a teacher. Uh, she she divorced my biological father and when I was, I think, you know, basically just born. And so she kind of raised us a little bit on, on her own. And when she remarried, she remarried in a place where, you know, my, the, the guy who raised me was um, running a decorating business. And so she sort of slid into that and she did amazingly well in that. And I went with her to some of her national decorating board things because she was on a, a board that had these family things. And I saw some of her speaking. So I think that that had a lot to do with it. I also know that she, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 34. And I was quite young. I was probably three at that time. And so there were there were a lot of times where I would hear her conversations with other women to help support other people who had survived. She would often talk about how her doctors are saying, we have no idea how you're still alive. Uh, so there, there was a certain amount of strength that she led her life with. And I, that, that strength has really been something I even wrote a mission statement um, about how I want to live my life with strength. And so, I, you know, she really was the foundation for everything I am and, and probably everything I wanted to be. Oh, that's really inspirational. That's uh, fantastic. That's one of the, the things that I'm finding with a lot of the women that I speak with is someone, typically a, a, a strong woman in their family. I've heard mom, aunt, teacher, sister, cousin, but someone very early on where it's almost that um, influence through osmosis, mm -hmm. right? I know that's not the right process my daughter who's a who's a biology major would be screaming at me <laughs> and learn by osmosis but i think the audience gets what i mean yeah. and it just it sticks with you and you sometimes don't recognize that until much later on when you're either reflecting or you do something right and you're like oh my goodness yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah and i think a lot of the way that that i lived because she was because she was a breast cancer survivor and she didn't know how long she'd live, she really raised me to be very independent from a very early age. And so I think some of that leads to how I raise my kids. We have to be a little bit careful. They can't just go off on their own at age 10 and do whatever they want. But at the same time, you know, I think I probably lean a little more towards independence because I 
that's the way I was raised. And I never really thought of it when I was younger. But when I look back, I went, oh, well, of course, she raised me that way because she didn't know if she'd be around. Right. Well, uh, your your kids will be better for it, no doubt. Thinking about, you know, um, your career and, and some of the changes and you've you've pivoted quite a bit. I mean, you've you've taken hard lefts from what you're doing to to, to the next thing. Is there a song that epitomizes your career path or something that really resonates with you? Something like your touchstone or, or something you go to? Yeah, absolutely. Frank Sinatra is my way. That is, nice. I, I live my life that way. That is, that is my life right there. So of course my mother-in-law likes to poke fun at me and she sings, she sings, I did it my way when I'm, you know, as implying as if it's my way or the highway, but it's not really about that. It's about really making sure that I know who I want to be and, you know, going after things, failing when necessary, you know, learning from mistakes and just, you know, doing life my way. I've always been a big believer in that. A really good one. And finally, if your career were a street name, what would it be? I think it would be Chaos Way. <laughs> that's like right now, that's what it feels like because I've got many kids. You know, you can see all the artwork. Um, so there's great things to having kids. But, you know, being a career person, the main breadwinner in the family and being a mom before and a hockey mom on top of that, it's there's a lot. So right now, the only thing that comes to mind is chaos. <laughs> Well, you know what? If it was chaos or boredom, I'd take chaos every Absolutely. single time. Absolutely. You know, hopefully your career hasn't been forever chaotic. I'm sure, you know, rollerblading, having an epiphany and saying, I'm going to start my own business <laughs> in the midst of grad school, right. which is an undertaking unto itself. And it's not your only, you know, degree that you have. You're very well educated. Um, what's the journey been like? What's it look like? Maybe, you know, you, you talked about early how you got into content, but what have been some of the things that maybe driven you or, you know, we talked about inflection points, you know, things that really got you to where you are today? Yeah. So I, I think there are a couple of things. The first is from a fairly early age, maybe college on, I was a big believer that you should take the first opportunity that comes to you. And so that was sort of my driving principle when I was younger. And it, for the most part, you know, really worked well for me. It it made me recognize opportunities. And it also helped me in deciding which opportunities I wanted to take. And it made me so I was never afraid to say yes to an opportunity for fear that I'd miss out on another one, because I would just say, well, that one came first. So that was that was how I sort of operated when I was younger. Um, so I think that that principle really sort of got me through, I don't know, my 20s, maybe. Um, I think there are, I, when I graduated from college, I didn't realize I was a good writer. I just sort of assumed everybody could write the way I wrote. And I really wanted to work at, uh, at a newspaper. And so I went back to my hometown in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I was working as a waitress and was right across the street from a, from the Grand Forks Herald building. So I, I saw a lot of reporters, right? And the editor. And so I built some relationships there. And I finally got up the courage to go ask if I could, you know, try and get in at, at the Herald. And I said, I'd start at the bottom. I don't, you know, I'll do whatever. I was delivering newspapers at the time early in the morning. Um, and so I said, I'll start wherever, you know, you just tell me what, what I need to do. So I went in and I did sort of a test 
And I very quickly caught their eye because they would have a lot of journalism students come in and they may or may not be a good writer and they'd have to sort of train them. But I came in and they would give me, I, I had this way of being able to write to a script, like write, not to a script, but write, like mimic a style, right? And so because I could read the newspaper, I could write in that style. And so I remember one of the, one of the editors kind of leaning back one time and just saying like, Megan, you just get it. Like, this is just great. You just get it. And so that was, that was sort of a, that was a a big turning moment for me because it made me realize that, that I had a skill, right. That it wasn't, you know, no, I wasn't, I was a good student, but I didn't like math and I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to go into science and, but I finally realized, okay, writing is my thing. Um, And so that, that was a big turning point. That year in particular was a huge turning point for me because that was the year. So I got a job at the Grand Forks Herald and that was the year, I don't know if you remember, but Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, we had a major flood and then a fire broke out in downtown. And so the entire downtown burned to the ground, including the the building where I worked. Our home was flooded. Wow. My parents' business was flooded um, and probably burned as well because it was downtown. Uh, and it was just this sort of horrific personal experience. And at the same time, being a journalist, it was like this awesome experience. So it was it was like the worst of the worst on the personal side and the best of the best on the, on the professional side. Right. So it was just a, it it was a crazy time. Um, but it, I learned a lot and I'd still live differently today because of what happened that particular year. So that was kind of the beginning of my career. And when you begin your career like that, yeah, nothing's going to stand in your way, right? Like people say, no, it can't be done. And I'm like, want to bet, right? Because when I watched, so I remember looking at the, the Grand Forks Herald, we all had run out of town, right? Because the entire town was evacuated. The river, which was usually about 300 feet wide, was now 20 miles wide. And so everybody had evacuated and they put out a call for all the journalists, if it was safe and if your family was safe to have you come back into town because they were going to continue the news. And I remember thinking, well, why? There's no one in town, right? Why would we do that? A, it's going to be really hard. Um, I don't know where they're going to print the newspaper because there's no longer a a building where they print the paper. And so, but the editors were very, very keen to, to keep pushing. And so I learned so many lessons there about tenacity, about making sure that you deliver the news, that the job is not about, um, it's, it's not about just going out and telling a story. It's about making sure that you're delivering the truth and the news every single day. And so thanks to these editors, we didn't miss a day, but here I was, you know, living now in a hotel in Menville, North Dakota, working out of an elementary school in our like makeshift newsroom driving back and forth to Grand Forks to do these stories every day. And it was just, it was, it was weird. It was different. It was, um, it was heart wrenching, but at the same time, it was just an, an incredible experience. 
can't imagine there's anything else that has impacted you the way that did. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So now when when things happen and, and people are like, oh, that must be so hard. I'm like, yeah, comparatively, no. <laughs> Compared to where I've been, is nothing. So, I mean, you've had, as I alluded to earlier, you've had several different opportunities in your career from uh, working journalism, having your own business, you've done the corporate side of things, you're a sought after speaker. Over the those different roles and, and the things that you do, has there been something that you've learned that you've taken with you, something that you lean on sort of in your day-to-day -day or, or go to regularly to keep yourself focused, to know that when that opportunity comes, whether it's the first or the third, but it is the right opportunity or whether or not, nope, you're good where you are and you still have things to do? Yes, absolutely. So I, it, when I was getting my second graduate degree, I, we were doing mission statements and I, that was at a very difficult time in my life because my mom had just died. My mom died 20 days before my wedding. I had moved to Canada, moved back to Canada a year later, back from Canada a year later. Um, so it was just a really trying time in my life. And so I decided to write my own mission statement. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but as I sat down to write it, it, it really sort of pieced itself together about how uh, um, I want to live with strength, right? Strength of character, strength of body, strength of mind. And I go back and I read that when I'm trying to make decisions now. So now instead of doing what I did in my 20s, which is just take the first opportunity, now I consult my mission statement and I say, hmm, now when I think about these two opportunities that I have, or these four opportunities that I have, which one really keeps me closest to my mission, which is to, you know, maintain strength for myself and for my family. And so that really helps me to make those decisions. What's your current role like? You've been there just over a year. Tackling each day with strength is, takes a lot of energy <laughs> um, and a lot of fortitude. And a lot uh, of caffeine. Tackling, <laughs> and a lot of caffeine, yes. I'm sure there's lots of coffee shops in, in Colorado. Yes. Um, also for those early morning hockey practices, yes. I don't see a parent showing up ever without some kind of, I mean, for us, it would be Tim Hortons right. or Starbucks. You guys, I'm sure there's a lot of Dunkin' Donuts going on yeah. or your, your Yeti mugs. Yeah. Um, but tell me a little bit about what your current roles like now, sort of what, what makes it, you know, you, you made a change a year ago mm -hmm. and we had all had a lot of change, um, a year ago. Yeah. And so adding more change to your plate, it must've been a pretty intriguing opportunity. So I'm, I'm curious what maybe about it made you make that jump. Also, what are some of the challenges and compromises you're facing now that maybe you didn't before or weren't expecting? Yeah. So yes, the, the change last year was one of those, I, I was ready to get sort of back to the operational side of content. I had done a, a stint with a, with a vendor that works in the content space but I really wanted to get back to just being very operational and, you know, fixing content issues. I think the one thing I do well is I am sort of the the turnaround strategist, right? I come in when, when content is not good and try and fix it. Um, I don't do so well if it's already really, really good. And then you have to sort of take it to the next level. That's probably not my thing. My thing usually is come in and fix it. And so we, I, there was just, this place was ripe for, for that. So we've done a lot this past year, uh, but it really, they just, they needed somebody who understood technical content as well as marketing content to a certain degree. Um, 
And so we've we've just done a, a ton of stuff this year, right? We brought in federated search across multiple digital assets. We brought in a brand new doc portal that launched on October 12th, one day after my first year anniversary. So, um, and that, I mean, that was a huge undertaking. We brought in different modern ways to create video in a more scalable way. So I, I actually got the okay right off the bat to implement four tools this year. And that's sort of unheard of, right? I mean, usually you're lucky if you get one, but we were in such a, a need and, and sort of such a deficit in terms of investment and content here prior to my coming on that it was, it, it just was obvious that we needed to, to make that investment. So I think the fact that they needed to start making those investments and they needed a good strategic leader to help ensure that they invested in the right things as opposed to just investing randomly. Right. So I think that was the big thing that that really sold me on it. But aside from that, I think the thing that sold me was the the values. And, you know, you go through the the process of talking to companies that you're interested in working for. And sometimes probably more often than not, they don't end up being as advertised, right? Like you get on the inside and, and the values that they spouted the entire time, you never see them again, right? This is not the case here. I mean, this really was, they, they, they really spoke to the values as we went through. And not only do they live by the values, but they constantly are looking at how do we need to sort of tweak the values. And so I actually sat on a, a team that I think, when I was in month three on just reinvigorating, re-energizing the values, right? And so we have values that I, I absolutely 100% believe in. They completely resonate. My favorite one is one that it it's candid and caring. And so people speak in a way that is is very upfront, right? We don't tiptoe around. We don't beat her on the bush. We're, we're very candid, but we're also very caring. So we, we speak candidly in a way that's very respectful to others. And that's something that I find is, is absolutely true here at this company. Um, and you know, that can be, that definitely has not been true at every other company I've worked at. I'll put it that way. So I really appreciate that one. Um, but there's just a, a lot that I really like about the values here. So, uh, yeah, that's why I came on board. And then, you know, I think the things you asked about sort of what's changed since then, and, you know, I mean, the market has changed, right? And things have changed in the world. This, the economic world has changed. The political world has changed. And so that's, that's definitely impacted things that we're doing. Um, but it, as long as we stick with those values, it, it doesn't matter, right? Like we can, we can make it through again. I've been through hell and high water almost literally. Right. So for, for me, this is, this is just a, another inflection point and, and another challenge to, to get through another hump to kind of leap over. Um, so yeah, I think there's not a, a huge digression from where I started. I am just so, so happy to be where I'm at. Yeah, finding values. I've done my gambit between, you know, startups. I've done mo done more than one and had my own to, you know, large orgs. I, I was part of IBM for several years and finding your groove and, and it really is about the values. Mm -hmm. It's really about, you know, every company has them, but do they embrace them and do they 
work them into actually what they do. And, you know, to find a place that you're, you're loving what you're doing, you can see the change that you're making, but as well, I feel comfortable in how they operate. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the trifecta of, of a, a, of the sweet spot of a job. So absolutely. That's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I worked at Amazon where they have their leadership principles and they are really instilled in the the work um and you know i think many of them are are very good some of them cause a little bit of competition and contention that maybe they they wouldn't need to uh but but for the most part i i learned how to incorporate those into how you are as a manager you know doing your reviews having your team meetings things like that so it was very important there i also did a lot with um with interviewing and how you make sure that people fit these values coming in the door. Right. And so that was, that was huge. Um, but you know, I think I've worked for places. There was one place in particular, one of their values was humility. Great value to have. They were the least humble people I've ever met. (laughs) So there really was no humility, right? It was, they would stand up and pretend to have humility, but when it really came down to the authentic humility that, that, you know, most of us are sort of hoping for, they just, they didn't have it. Right. And so, you know, you have to be really authentic with your values. You can't say we value humility and then hire people who have, you know, humility just doesn't resonate with them. Right. Cause humility is not for everybody. Right. There are people in the world that don't work well in that. So if you're hiring those people that can't be humble and can't um, act with humility, then you don't value humility, right? There's, you can't have it both ways, I guess. Yeah. And humility, that's, that's a really tough one. You know, I started my career off in, in internal comms and, you know, was in that space for quite a while. And my goodness, if I was working with a company to develop and we did, I, I worked with companies sometimes to, to develop some of their, their values or at least, you know, framework of them. And I would have, I would have warned everybody off humility because that is that's a really really tough one it Um, is we can all we can all be humble at times Mm -hmm. but so often it's disingenuous and when you get into an environment where there is hierarchy and there is competition and whatnot that's oh boy (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah it's a big it's a big one and to just say we value humility or one of our values is be humble okay, but is that really what you want, right? Because if everybody is humble, then, you know, maybe you're not going to, I don't know, some some people just can't, they sort of can't progress by being humble. That's not the their thing, right? And so it's a, it's a tough one. And it was one, I think, that they really wanted to say they were, but they just, they, it just wasn't going to happen, right? And so that makes it really tough when you have three values. One is completely impossible, right? And, you know, then the other is, you know, customer obsession because that's what Amazon has. Therefore, we need it, right? And what does that even mean, right? Like Amazon spells it out and says, here's what we believe it is. If you just say customer obsessed, how do people know what that is? What does that look like? How do we act? How does that change the way that we we go about our business, right? And if it's not well spelled out, you people have no idea. They just think, oh, well, this, I want to do this because I think it's best for the customer. Well, I think it's best for the customer. 
doesn't necessarily equate to customer obsessed, right? Because I just said, I think, right? So that's about me. That's about what I think. So there's a, a difference in, in the way that, that you operate when you truly are customer obsessed. Indeed. Indeed. So I, I have to ask one more question on the humility yeah. thing. The company, was it pretty balanced from a, a male-female ratio from no. employees? Was it male-dominated? It was male-dominated. It was male-dominated and it was not based in the U.S. So it was... Yeah, there you yeah, go. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, there was <laughs> a, a very distinct bias. Yes. Because in this day of, of, of equity, mm-hmm. uh, not even equality, but equity, that would be an extremely difficult value to espouse yeah. and respect yes um in in today's culture hopefully that's changing but that would be a really tough one. Oh, slippery slope okay yes. moving on <laughs> that's a whole other that's a topic for an, i was gonna say that's a whole other podcast yeah. if you weren't in the content space i mean clearly you're driven to do something with content from wanting to be a speaker to you know creating content to helping companies with content etc but if you weren't doing, if you weren't in the content space, what would you be doing? Hmm. You know, I, I think that's funny because to me, everything is going to be content. It's the thing I'm good at, right? So no matter where I go, I'll probably gravitate towards that. However, I did mention to my kids the other day, a couple of things. First, I spend a lot of time at Starbucks and a lot of money at Starbucks because I drink one Starbucks drink and that's it. But um but it's become part of my my world, right? And I really enjoy the the culture of being at a Starbucks and them knowing my name and you know kind of the strategy behind it. So I I often think when I when I finally retire, I may just go work at Starbucks. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of actual coffee. The thing I drink is is like green coffee bean before it's roasted. So I might I may change that because I might not be the best. But that would be one thing. Um, I also, my favorite job that I've ever had, not thinking about how much it pays or anything like that was being a tour guide on my college campus. So again, I think it's some of that just, you know, being able to to show people around and explain stories and, you know, so I think those are two options. I like that. Yes. A barista. I, I actually just said that on the, the, said that this weekend to a few friends. I said, you know, if it, if it wasn't about paying for two kids to go to university and grad school and and whatnot. Honestly, going to Starbucks, being challenged by the non-fat whipped something, something mocha, something, something cold, whatever, and getting it right, (laughs) getting it right, right, and doing it well. So being challenged in the moment, but then walking away, coming home and other than being super hyped up on coffee, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a tea drinker. I'm just learning how to drink coffee. Again, my, my 21 year old daughter, you know, you know, mom, you know, mocha isn't a real coffee. I'm like, it's a gateway. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting there. But yeah, I love that. And you must've really enjoyed university to want to be able to, to, to have done the tour guiding thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I think I enjoyed the tour guiding thing more than I enjoyed you. I liked the learning of university, but I wasn't really, I didn't, I was sort of a college student who was going on 40, right? So the whole university thing was probably not my thing. However, um, yeah. I was really proud of the campus and and the learning uh, aspect of it. Yeah. And so that makes for a good tour guide, I guess. 
Well, I've, I've kept you long enough and thank you so much. But before uh, we part, for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, what would be the best piece of advice, whether it's life or career, happiness, how to stay warm in a hockey arena that you'd like to share? Uh, I'd like to learn how to stay warm in a hockey arena. So, you know, there's that. So I think the best piece of advice for women in particular is really to just go after what you want and not allow the politics of the situation to get in the way, right? And I say that because we've all been in those places where you get talked over, you get looked over, like you get all kinds of things. And, and you just have to, you have to understand that that, that stuff's going to happen and you just need to power through. So I think that's probably some people will take that as horrible advice, but that's how I've lived my life. You know, you don't want to ignore it. You need to acknowledge it. Um, but at the same time, you got to power through it. And if it gets really bad, obviously, that's when you hightail out of there. But um, but yeah, I think it really comes down to just have strength and understand your your ability and, and your threshold for what you can handle. And then, you know, just power through. Nice. I love it. Thank you so much. So tell our audience where they can find you, web, social, any upcoming speaking events? Sure. So LinkedIn, uh, Megan Gilhooly, and that's G-I-L-H-O-O-L-Y. <laughs> that's a tough one to spell. Uh, I'm not on Twitter that much anymore, although I do sometimes hop on it, but Megan Gilhooly on Twitter as well. You can catch me at Reltio, Megan.Gilhooly at Reltio.com. Um, and I have sort of taken a bit of a hiatus on speaking this uh, the last probably six months, I think content tech summit was the last one I spoke at, but I'll get back, back in there in 2023. Very good. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this conversation. The thought of anchoring yourself in strength and strength vacillates. Someday we're super strong and can take on the world. There's other days where honestly walking out the door and facing a lineup at Starbucks might be all the the strength that you have, but mustering it and, and, and pushing through and persevering, which you have done really, really inspirational. So Megan, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Oh, I'm so glad to my audience. Thank you for listening to uncharted journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Megan and hearing about how strength and perseverance can really get you anywhere you want. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, um, then please head over to unchartedjourneys.net and check out our other uh, episodes, sign up for our email list, as well as look at the links and resources from today's notes. I'll make sure to include all of Megan's uh, contact information there. So thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more much more than this I did it my way regrets I've had a few but then again too few to mention